Morning, everybody, and welcome to Strategy Cafe. I'm here with Minter Dial, who I'm going to introduce to you all in just a second. Um, but as we get going, I just thought we'd wait for a, a couple of minutes for a few more people just to log in. And while we do that, um, as is our way, um, I thought it'd be nice just to bring everybody mindfully into the session. One of the thoughts that um, we've been working with is this idea that the sympathetic nervous system is stimulated by the in-breath and the parasympathetic nervous system is stimulated by the out-breath. So it's quite a nice idea uh, to breathe in through the nose quite quickly and then breathe out softly and gently through the mouth for longer. So let's say for four or five seconds. So I'm just going to do that and anyone out there who wants to join me, welcome. So um, deep breath in and then a slow breath out. Kind of feel that lovely relaxation as you breathe out and that's just stimulating the parasympathetic. So do it again. As everyone logs in, let's just do it one more time. Welcome. Welcome to Strategy Cafe. Now you've all relaxed, you better grab a coffee and get more stimulated. <laughs> I love the idea that just by breathing out you can stimulate a bit of relaxation and it's really a nice way to bring everybody into attention. So just uh, welcome all of you. Uh, welcome especially to everybody during such a difficult time for the world, for the UK. Just wanted to take a moment just to acknowledge that, how tough things are at the moment out there and um, to thank you all for taking the time to join us this morning to listen to me and Minta discussing leadership and branding and we hope we find uh, in this morning's discussion some inspiration for you all some things to think about as you get ready psychologically as leaders to take your teams and your clients out of the other side of all of this and into the new world as it emerges in front of us which we're all going to have to face in the next few months and many of us are kind of thinking about that right now so let's get going so welcome um, to the cafe. Um, we're going to be running up until nine formally. Uh, we'll stay on a little bit afterwards to answer questions. Just point out to you that there's a lovely uh, facility within GoToWebinar where you can ask questions. If you look on your control panel, there's a questions area. Um, Minta um, is very generously open to answering questions and we'd like that. Um, we'd like it to be interactive, so um, I'll keep an eye on the questions as they come in and um, whatever you post up, we'll try and pick up. Um, if it's in the theme, we'll pick it up there. Um, if we can't do it at that point, we'll pick it up at the end, um, but please ask questions. Now, um, we also have, rather excitingly, got 10 free copies of Minter's new book, which you can see behind him, You Lead. I've got my copy here. And uh, Minta has also very generously agreed to sign 10 copies. And so um, a little bit later on during the webinar, we're going to be selecting 10 of you at random to be the lucky recipients of uh, a signed copy of Minta's new book. Uh, so um, if you're interested, 
um, in that, uh, then you know, news on that just at the top of the hour on, on who the lucky winners are. So, um, delighted to have Minta here with us this morning. Um, I was introduced to Minta by a really good friend uh, of um, Alembic um, and uh, head of the Securities Institute. Uh, where I think Minter, you gave a keynote presentation at their at their annual conference, and we connected after that, and I really enjoyed our conversation. So uh, thanks very much to Rick Mountfield out there for making the introduction. Delighted to have you on with us this morning. Perhaps you could just introduce yourself and tell everyone a little bit about you. Surely. So thanks for having me on, Nick. And I loved your breathe in, breathe out, and and. Um... I was wondering if you doing the reverse, what it does to your brain, if you go quickly, short in, long out. Maybe red. So, <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm a uh, Franco-American. I live in London, born in Belgium, married to a French-Spanish lady, and have um, spent the last 12 years of my life trying to bring about change and ele elegantly elevate the debate through basically a myriad of wacky stories that I like to tell. Wonderful, <laughs> what a great introduction. Um, so um, I was um, really interested um, to read uh, You Lead. Um, it's a great book, uh, full of really fascinating insights and covers a lot of areas. Um, but when we were talking, um, we were chatting about, you know, um, some of the insights that come um, with uh, experience of leadership and this idea of you lead, you know, it's a really, you're very quotable mentor. <laughs> I love it. It's really nice to meet someone who's so quotable. But you lead is a really nice uh, kind of title um, and it's obviously meaningful to you. So, you know, I'm interested in what does that mean? And I'm interested in just, you know, when did you first get this sense of you, you lead in terms of how that mean, is meaningful to you? Right. So when I, when I, working with Kogan on this cover, the idea of handwriting the title was so important because sort of it's it's my signature and what is your own signature and little arrow upwards is a hint to this idea of go finding your journey your north what direction do you want to bring and and so i'd say beyond the two words there's a sort of a a bigger image that's important to me and and if i could i would say that an alternative version of the title might have been you lead you Mm. And, and so, so much of leadership books and theses and schools, if you will, are always focusing on what you need to do, how to get the business, do it better, be more performing, efficient. And, and I, I kind of wanted to just put my brakes on that and dig in and just jump into the cesspool of what is the messy relationships that you have with yourself and with your team, not to mention your family, of course, and then how it, how to navigate through what is obviously not going to be a clear and easy path. There are always going to be things coming in. So how do you create that backbone that allows you to navigate the trade winds, the weird winds, the difficult challenges, the, the difficult conversations that you have? And that was really what I was, I'm, try, I'm trying to do in this book, you lead. I love that. It kind of resonates uh, really deeply with our practice, um, self-leadership. I 
feel is at the core of a leadership competency. Kind of thing. I think what we say is that um, if you can't lead yourself or you haven't looked at that and tackled some of the divisions that we all experience within us when we feel torn, um, we have an experience that feels shattering maybe and we don't know how to pick up the pieces. Uh, those are kind of quite, you know, totemic phrases I think for this. If we haven't addressed that and thought about it, in a way, how can we have any empathy for the people we're supposed to be leading? Does that, does that resonate with you, that idea that, you know, if you haven't searched the inner landscape, you can't really understand, right? Well, so, so much. I mean, I my experience in business, so this is sort of where the book is grounded in my the fact that I spent 25 years in business in various banking, obviously cosmetics, L'Oreal, and doing some entrepreneurial activities, working in a zoo. I mean, I worked around and I saw frequently that we had this idea that what you needed to work on as a leader was the piece that's once you're in the office, you know, let's say nine o'clock, and you put on your tie and you create this ambiance, you're driving the culture, you're pushing the numbers, you're, you know, that's what we tend to focus on, our leadership. And uh, this, the story I'm gonna tell you without naming who it is, we, we tend to think that well, what stay, what's at home stays at home, which is just ludicrous. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's tricky, it's messy. Not everything at home needs to come to the office. You know, how you shower, okay, keep it to yourself. But there's so many things like how you slept. Did you have an argument with your, your you know, you're a single parent with your single child and you had an argument before you leave, go to work? How can that not impact you? So right. you are necessarily bringing what is at home into you. Not to mention the fact that when you, let's say, are on a weekend, let's say you work Monday to Fridays to be boring and traditional, you know, God knows that's not true these days. But you know, you might go down the streets and you might see a shop, and you're going to operate as a customer. So it's an opportunity to think what it is like to be a customer, even though you're on your free time. And some of the best ideas come when you're in that famous shower or, you know, walking in your welly boots with the two dogs and all of a sudden this ah, brilliant thing. Oh God, I remember to do that. Right. So we, we had this one guy um, came in, he was the CEO and he said, well, you know, I'm very glad to be in this company because we operate like a family. And, and so that was a lovely idea, except the problem was I knew him very well through two other people. So not personally outside of work, but through two other people. One was his neighbor yep. who said that he'd never met a more arrogant person. And that's, you know, that's pre, pre going to the office. That's sort of on the on the weekends, that's meeting him in the corridor because they lived in a flat. And the second one was unfortunately, because this man is married with four children, one of his two mistresses who had attempted to take her life uh, because of the way he treated her. Right. Well, I'm sorry, that's his vision of family. And I'm sorry, but I will judge that person based on who he is as a total person. I'm not going to segregate that kind of a bad attitude, bad apple outside of work and just say, oh, all right, that's fine. But he's family inside. And how about you? I mean, when when did this happen to you that you appreciated as a leader? So like I, for me, I think this makes makes total sense. And because we teach this that. Like you were saying, those little things that can happen in the morning on the way in, you know, you're, ne you're not you're not a part person. You are, you just are who you are. 
um, and they stay with you. They can easily stay with you unless you have a consciousness awareness of that and a sense, you know, an ability or a methodology to clear, you know, so that you can be present to what is happening at work without, without, you know, some major negative influence. But when did this first happen for you? And what was the experience that taught you, Minta? All right, so I actually have worse problems coming home and taking off the tie. Right. And, and uh, that that was my that's my bigger issue. And and sometimes I just I needed to work more on zoning and calming down and, and figuring it out. But I mean, this whole thing came to uh, like a head when I would uh, I was working on Wall Street. And this is where this this whole story began. And so I'm 27 years old. And I'm putting on a tie, I'm going to an investment bank down 140 Broadway, very chic. I'm, I'm the youngest vice president in the group, so I'm thinking I'm, you know, I'm thinking I'm making it. And, and it's definitely a very significant environment, you know, solid, you have to be intelligent and all that. And then in the evenings, I would rush home, because once you, the, the stock market closed at four o'clock, you just have to tidy up, because I'm getting it at six o'clock. And then uh, at four, I'm ready to go, and at five, I'm home. Off comes the tie, and I, and I slip on a tie-dye t-shirt, and I go to a concert, and I dance for five hours like a lunatic to, to this band called the Grateful Dead, and sweat and laugh and just let everything go, and then I, I grab my sorry ass home, and then in a few hours I put, get in the shower, shave, prepare, put on the tie, and back to Thailand, and I, Thai, as in Thai, not Thailand, and anyway, the, uh, this, this idea, this dichotomy, it just, it got to me at, at a certain level, and I felt like I needed to bring the tie-dye attitude into work, obviously I didn't do that at the investment bank, because I left shortly thereafter, but that was, that's sort of part of my journey, how do you bring the tie-dye of you into work, you're not going to bring, I'm not going to take the LSD that I was taking into work, that didn't seem to be appropriate, but elements of me as an individual, that sort of free-flowing, free-loving, kind of dancing, yeah. happy to look like a, a lunatic person yeah. into work and yet be successful. I love it. I'm just gonna um, put this back up. So um, so I think, you know, this is a nice segue into this um, check model, which I picked out from the book, which I really like actually. So curiosity, humility, empathy, courage, and karmic, which is, I think you're kind of, um, qualities to bear in mind as a leader. Um, I'm so on that point about bringing the tide eye minter dial into the tide minter dial uh, at work, post bank. Um, I'm guessing required a certain courage. So I'd like to come to that in a second. Before then, I just want to just explore karmic because I think it's an unusual word. Maybe most people probably do know that, but just let's explore that meaning. So. My understanding of that, uh, like Dharma and Karma, I always saw um, um, uh, yeah, them as, you know, um, what goes around comes around, right? And then also as, as fate. So I think Dharma is like fate. The tide is coming in, the tide is going out. Sometimes, you know, you're left on high and dry on the beach and that's just the way the market, the market moves in and out. Whereas I think karma is what goes around comes around, right? So uh, one of my clients once put it, you never meet the same person just once, um, which is a neat way of putting it. But I think this is more than that. Karma is more than that. It's almost like a spiritual dimension to this. Is that right? What, what is yes, karma? Yes, I'm far, 
I'm far more in, in, interested in the spiritual dimension, I mean, let's say in a general level. With regard to karma, there, there's there actually, I, I feel, a few misconceptions as to what karma is. And the idea of what goes around comes around is broadly accurate. But what I tend to zero in on is with karma is what is your intention? Yeah. And what is your action that you do to follow your intention? Because, by yeah. the way, you can have a great intention and screw it up royally when it comes to the action. Yeah. But it, as long as your intention, as you looking in the mirror, evaluating you yourself with some great integrity and honesty, then, all right, you fucked up in the action, but at least you had a good intention. And so that, if you continuously seek to evaluate your intention and that you have a, a, a decency in that intention because by the way you can't just be going around and, and protecting the world and be great about everything it's it's okay we all have shadows and, and not every intention is perfect but on balance if you have decency in your intention you do actions that portray uh, and retrieve that intention then the chances are that will do you good stead over time yeah because so I hit, you, I hit, you're being I hit, true to you I hear a couple of things. So, so number one is number one is to have intention before you step in. So, to me, that requires you to be aware of that. You need to know to stop, know to check in. I didn't mean that's not a pun, but actually, that's quite nice. Just check in. Maybe that's your intention here. Um, think karmic, you know. So, what's my intention? But then the other thing I'm hearing also is that that doesn't necessarily get you off the hook because things can still go wrong. So, there's also a requirement to openness to feedback and trial and error and learning. So you've, you've got to have that second step, right? So there's one thing that's upstream to all this, which is prior to intention. And that this is where it gets, let's say, more complicated, but also more powerful. Yeah. Is if you can relate your intention to what you've decided who you are going to be, then it's even more, it has more congruence. So the example is, well, I have this great intention. I want to solve uh, world hunger. Okay, great. Oh, that's that's good of you, Minter. I that's a very valuable, valid idea in general. It, you know, it's heroic and all that. But it absolutely, isn't part of me. I mean, yes, I've been to India. Yes, I've been to the, the shanty town in in uh, Johannesburg and so on. But I haven't made this part of my life. So I'm just basically co-opting a nice intention. And there are lots of intentions, lots of things that need to be fixed. So where it gets interesting is when you can start to link your intention to who you really are. And mine yeah. is elegantly elevating the debate, connecting dots, people, and ideas. That's my North Star. So when I'm right. looking at this intentional element, when I can be in that space and, and, and really connect those dots, that's when you feel yeah. that sort of, well, and by the way, the chances are your actions are going to be stronger because you're just you're in your zone. You've checked into who you are and who you want to be, not just to yeah. a nice intention. And I think identity is, you know, one of the most powerful forces in our sense of, I mean, as tautology, a sense of self, right? But identity, and to work on that so that you know who you are, you know, who you feel, you know, your root, who you feel, how you feel solid in your identity and your expression, in order to then think about intention coming from somewhere, right? I think that's what you're saying here, am I right? So you, you know who yeah. you are, you know what your persona is, you know what you stand for, and then your intention roots out of that. 
got a great question in here from from one of the listeners about where does courage come in here which is my one as well so there's two on here which i really like is um uh empathy um i really like humility um and i'm curious um to pick up another word about uh, about courage uh, and the bravery needed to step into being self you know as a leader and maybe you can pick those ideas up a little all right well so there are some of these which can feel counterintuitive, if you will. Yeah. Um, humility and courage, empathy and courage, they don't necessarily feel like they're bed partners, right? A courageous, humble person, it, of course it does exist, but it's sort of not what you would expect of a humble person. You can imagine the bravado of courage. And so the, the, the first part is to have the courage to be genuine with yourself and and have the courage to open up kimono subjects that may be from your past that are fears by the way we all have existential issues and and no one has a perfect record and no one is perfect and so the courage is at you know zeroing in on yourself that despite your fears you want to go in there and try to be the best version of you that you can be but you can only be that if you're aware of what your imperfections are. So that's the, the first level of courage. The second one is standing for what, standing, standing up for what you believe in. Of course, the first point there is what the hell do you believe in? And, and here's the sort of rub or insight. It's easy, especially when you know you have a, some you know, two, two gray, gray dots in between your shoulders to kind of rationalize anything you believe in. There are roughly 75 values and I'm sure if I had any number of you guys saying, hey, listen, do you think it would be a good idea, you believe in, it would be good if there were world peace? Well, duh, right? And wouldn't it be great if we solved world hunger? Duh, get rid of global warming and all that. So there are a million of these things. What you need to do is pick your battle. If your company has the word strategy in it, you can't be everything to everybody. So you have to have the courage to stand up for what you believe in, which means that if I'm the CEO, Hey, Mr. Dial, that's the traditional fashion. Hey, Mr. Dial, do you think it's really important to fix the world's um, global global warming or, you know, climate change? Yes, I do, but it's not my top priority. What do you mean it's not your top priority? Damn it, don't you know all the young people want this? And I understand, but it's not my top priority. You have to, I'm going to tell you what is my priority and it's this. And, And so the courage to not just say, roll over and say, yeah, 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 yeah hashtag of course i'm in you can't hashtag every bloody problem in the world so i love it i think that's right so i think uh you know here we're talking about uh minter's experience of doing the inner search understanding the self feeling the tensions that pull us on the inside accepting those understanding how they how they interact within us and you know, creating from that a strong sense of self, of identity, of position, and then having the courage to take that out. And so this next step is about taking it out into your leadership community. And I really like this next slide. So just moving on a little and talking a little bit about um, about your kind of idea of brand here. Um, I guess this kind of position, you know, as you bring your identity as a leader into relation, it's into relation with all of these people in this slide, right? So. Uh, you know, to your 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 tribe, your core, your customers, your suppliers, et cetera, et cetera, around the loop. Maybe just 
talked to this a little bit, and just your quotable self, you know, those at the center carry the core concentrate of your brand in terms of culture, beliefs, and values. And I think you've been kind of like touching on that in this self leadership. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So let, let me um, just go back to uh, a little bit what I was talking about before, because it's relevant to this slide. The, this is basically called the inside out model. And and the idea, the thing that we we all have, and I first, uh, you know, right after our top of the line, needed to do this, which is distill down from all these great concepts, these wonderful values. I mean, I said there are roughly seventy-five values. I mean, who wouldn't want to be called, let's say, have integrity, be honest, love family, um, be innovative? All these different values—they all sound great. So you put them into your beaker. And you you have all these things and you justify them all and they're all living. But really what happens is you have this sort of very weak solution. Right. It's just liquid with just a ton of stuff in it. It's yeah. trying to be everything to everybody. And so what you do need to do is put the old Bunsen burner underneath it right. and, and get to the fundamental core. So that's the light stuff evaporates. You're nice to have, hey, yeah, let's go back down. Let's figure out who we are at the core. And and so my insight here is that we have to get over the fact that we're intelligent and we're, we can justify everything and post-rationalize everything to get do that hard work and make the selection down to those core values. So when when I um, brought this model out, it was sort of in counterpoint to customer centricity because yeah. if you notice, the customers are not at the center of the model. And and so many people will say, well, this is, this is the wrong model. It should be customer. Go ahead. Could could they be? Could customers be red canines? <laughs> well, so all right. So the, the, there's uh, there's, a, there's some terminology in this. So first of all, I'm talking about the company I ran for nearly four years called Redkin. So anyone uh, t anyone know their Redkin shampoo that they use? Uh, go ahead and put it in the chat. Um, mm -hmm. So this this is a hairdresser brand. And it comes from New York and it's distributed in 40 countries. Um, and was at the time when I was running, it was roughly $300 million. It's now around about $600 million and doing very well. And I would say largely because of this model here. So the the, the, the customers are typically, there, there are many versions of customers. And, and it's very easy to get, lose the plot. Who are we talking about when we talk about customers and stakeholders? So the first people who need to buy your products or wish to buy your products need to be you. Right. And your employees, they need to believe it, not because it's free, but because they believe in it, believe not just in the product, but the system around it, the ecosystem. Yeah. I like to talk about the, the brand tattoo test, which suggests that you as the CEO, even though you know full well that at some point you're going to bugger off, right? You're not going to stay around and work and well, hopefully not until you croak. So even though you might leave the company, as I did, would I be prepared to tattoo my body with some element of the brand that suggests that I really am the concentrator of the brand? So yeah. this is the philosophy of the inside out, the Redkinites. The artists in this model are, are the Redkin performing artists. And these are hairdressers who are independent hairdressers who have bought in on the system and therefore become our relay. They are ambassadors, if you will, but they, they're living the brand and they are the living expression of them. Around the world, we had roughly 1,500 of them. And then we have the people who sell and they have to buy the product from us too. So they're customers. 
they buy the product from us and then outside of the other door, if you will, they have to sell it into the hairdressing salons. So we have to treat them. And that was one of the tricks that we had, uh, despite L'Oreal's approach with distributors, is we consider them as a client. Yeah. That's how you get them to become partners. If you think of them as partners, chances are they that won't go as far as you need to go. Anyway, we got distributors in bed, we have to have a philosophy shared. Then we have the salon owners who are buying the product from the distributors. Then the salon owners are, are supplying the hairdressers who are in the salon. And those are the ones who are then slopping on color onto the hair of their consumers. So the, the key point was, well, this is the whole journey. What distillate of the brand are you gonna draw out? And yeah. you have to make sure that it's lived inside first in a congruent manner with what you're trying to express outwards. And here's the thing we did strategically. We stopped in terms of going, going crazy on our mission up to the salons. We, we decided that our customers had to be the be in, in the focus we had on the salon owners, the salon hairdressers. Because you just can't be everything to everybody. And if we got that distillate right, then they would find the customers and let them do the rest. I love it. So I think this is really related to uh, the earlier comment about self and about identity, about expressing that powerfully. It kind of, for me, it speaks a little bit to the idea of charisma in leadership, which is sometimes seen as a bad thing because we have these great charismatic speakers, you know, but here is a different interpretation of charisma because it's about how your energy bounces out, right, and creates that energetic link. And it's got to be, like you said, a distillate. So something powerful a few core ideas that resonate and then that idea kind of takes the message of the brand carries the message the concentrate of the brand um i wondered about this idea here discretionary energy now i'm just going to pause for a second as minto you and i are just discussing you know leadership and branding and you know what the connection is there given it's just nine o'clock and just acknowledge the timing so we're going to carry on this conversation for just 10 minutes I'm going to come back to this idea of discretionary energy, which I think is related, and I think Minter will be able to elucidate that in a tick. Um, but just uh, for everyone out there, you know, put your questions in. Um, and we'll pick up a few. I can see William Pedder is out there and has put his hand up. So, William, if you're still listening, put your question into the um, questions area. If you can find that on your on your GoToWebinar app, and we can pick your question up. I've got a nice. And don't forget the ten books. Don't forget the ten books. Don't forget the 10 books. Oh, thank you. This is for me. Yeah. And uh, we'll pick up your question in just a second. So um, so just very quickly, um, uh, the 10 books are going to go to uh, William Pedder, Chris Rabin, uh, Julia McClelland, uh, George Dyer Wilson, uh, John Purvis, uh, David Hill, uh, Wayne Till, Felicity Mould, uh, Gunter Umpak, um, uh, Nikki Moorhead, Head, Head uh, and Michael Shapiro. So I think that's our ten. So uh, congratulations, guys. We'll have a signed book out to you in the in the post shortly thereafter. So we'll reach out to everybody and uh, just work out how to get those to you. Um, and then just a quick note for next time. So um, after today's webinar, it'll be recorded. You can pick it up and listen and come back in. Uh, register for the next one we're going to start to talk about how we adapt um in this new landscape of leadership you know the pandemic has really created a revolution 
shifted the environment significantly. We were all in the middle of that. So what's the new vision? What are the problems? How do we solve them? What are the great tips that we're already seeing? We don't have the answers to all of that. But we're going to just start the conversation next time around and engage with the idea of how do we as a group start to tackle these problems and create the new vision. So, so come back to us next time for that. Um, Minta, thank you very much for staying on with us for a bit. So, of course. I hope hopefully it's uh, good for everybody who's listening in and chime in with your thoughts. We like to interact, as, not just. Around. How how can we bring this back? Discretionary energy. So we were just talking about the distillate of brand and how that relates to you lead, and then discretionary energy. So. I think energy is such an important thing and my son and I have been chatting about quantum mechanics and and Einstein and we are all energy and God knows it. I feel it more than ever is true. So here let's say the, 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 the playing field is we're all doing stuff, we're being intentional, we have desires to, to succeed and we're pushing hard so there's no lack of effort in general. But what makes the difference is when you are tapping into your discretionary energy, the one that is above and beyond, the one that is a choice where you have the agency to bring it in. Otherwise, right. you're just doing business. So discretionary energy is is about that. I, I, like in the beginning when you were doing our, our little breathing exercise, it's about finding something that resonates with you at a high, at a deeper level. So generally, what I'm talking about here is purpose. But what I what I want to lean in on this particular point is that when we talk about purpose, you can so much of these ideas is is sort of like uh, purpose washing. We we've got one, yeah, it's really it's really cool. We want to save the world, and you just you can hear the eyes rolling. So these, these, these purposes where the boss doesn't really believe it, he, he goes yada, 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 he's told by his comms person to talk about it. And then, uh, then the other one is, well, it's doing something to, to be better for everybody else. Well, actually, nothing for me. And I'm gonna have uh, an example that should be poignant and maybe there are some people who work there in the group. Amazon, they have this magnificent, huge purpose to be the most customer-centric organization on this earth. Okay, great. Oh, that sounds really great. Let's be customer-centric. So if I'm an Amazon employee, I'm wondering, huh, how does that help me? Oh, the time when I go off at home and I put in an Amazon order, that's my moment, but that's not the only moment. I actually have to spend you know, a lot of time in significantly difficult conditions, not getting paid the most, as we know from what's written in the press. So I think that I call out that mission for being yeah. not strong. Right. It needs really to talk lived. to everybody. Not lived enough. It's right? certainly not lived. It's lived too. Like you know, you you you're a pass through. You're a conduit to make it happen. But it doesn't yeah. stop at your station. Yeah, that's so. When when I was when when I was at Redken, we had a a mission. And when I when I came in. Uh, we were, uh, Redken had been an independent company. It was purchased by L'Oreal. And L'Oreal has all sorts of processes and policies. And, and, and when the mission, uh, when we looked at, I looked at the mission and I, and I leaned in on this particular idea of how to make it come alive with the employees, you're going to see immediately how it was complicated. Yeah. The mission of Redken was earn a better living, live a better life. Right. Okay. So in the L'Oreal world, what does that mean? Well, you have a grade 
that's what you get paid. You get to keep your job because you work 60 to 70 hours a week in presence at the office. And if it's not 80 or 90 hours. Okay, so let me let me just see how that works. Earn a better living, live a better life. I'm working many more hours than normal. I have a standardization in the pay grade. And by the way, because you are so worth it to work at L'Oreal, you didn't always get the highest pay and live a better life. Uh-huh, I get to work 90 hours a day in the office. Oh, that's that's great. So I'm in this this model, and it's really important to understand the model around which you're working, because you can't just sort of throw them out and pretend like they don't exist, because that's illegal, actually. You know, you have to be careful about all that stuff. So what my intention, one of the things I, I, I feel I brought to the Redkin organization worldwide was how to do that within the L'Oreal construct, such that the employees who are loyal employees working for Redkin feel that they earned a better living and lived a better life. I've got a couple of questions coming in, which I think relate. So um, William has found his way into the question area, which is fabulous, and says, "How do you show up? How do you show up to your staff when you have doubts like that about the brand, right?" And then, nice comment from um, uh, from Rick, um, just uh, talking about um, you know his his um, take on some of your insights around the journey that that you know being a member of the institute is a journey. And um, joining in that journey purposefully, I think, is kind of where where he's got to with, with this. And then the question just saying, can we bring in the idea of empathy and how does empathy uh, come into this? Right. Well, there's that's a bunch. Um, so my, my head is trying. My, my, my neurons are, are just firing off. How do you, how do you so show up when you're building the brand yeah. and uh, how do you make the journey real, which I think you're just talking to us about there. And what's that step into the reality of it? And then where does empathy fit? All right, so on the first one, it's unlikely that anybody has the perfect situation. Uh, in the United States, Amazon and Walmart are regularly identified as the top company with purpose. You know, that's what it's, they're, they're judged by the customers as. Uh, they also happen to be judged as the top bottom two in the same category. So it's a messy idea and nobody has a perfect scenario. So when you come into it and you know that your company isn't doing it. Well, the first point is to be honest and to declare at some level, certainly in the inner circle to begin with, get them on board, show them you are able to say, I, I don't feel so good about this. I have a personal doubt. It's okay to say you have doubt. It's okay not to be okay. And mm. if you just gloss, that's when you gloss over it, it's not going to happen. So it's not going to lean in and have them expressing to you that it's going to be yes, sir, kind of people as opposed to, well, me too. This is my situation. So you need to galvanize the group at a, at a more um, honest level about it and then work to fix it. What I had to do was was monumental, uh, earning a better living, living a better life within a L'Oreal construct. And so I, I had to find my partners who were gonna help, I wasn't gonna do it by myself, who believed yeah. in the same idea, but we yeah. didn't have the same execution. We didn't know that yet, so we had to construct that together, collaborate in making that happen. Uh, the transformation is hard, right? So the, you know the, oh, yeah. the idea the idea is powerful, but then the transformation it needs the power of that idea to engage again, like a tribe of people who have the essence of the idea, prepared to take it into change, which is the tough well, part. And it, yeah, and imagine doing that with forty countries. We were in yeah. Japan, Australia, Norway, Germany, Italy. You know, all these different countries with different attitudes towards earning a better living, money speaking about money, you know, that's so gauche in some countries. 
and uh, living a better life. What do you mean, work? Get off. I just need to do the business, dude. Right. And I'm trying to do that within loyal organizations that are really run around finances. So it was a tall order within getting the L'Oreal people on board in each of the subsidiaries. So it's a messy process. So the um, I know the third question is about empathy. And yeah. uh, I think that is, um, well, so empathy is so useful across the board. But here is something glorious about empathy. We we have, I, and I'll, I'm going to actually tell you a story. I, I have uh, done a survey on empathy and uh, surveyed um, roughly 10,000 people. Okay. And the question is, do you consider yourself to have well above average, above average, average, below average, well below average empathy? And I'm thinking that I have a very biased network of people because clearly my friends, the network who filled in this questionnaire, are a different kind of category because 73% have a, either above average or well above average level of, of empathy. We had under 20% who have average okay. and then something like 3% three, 3 below average. Maybe one yes, of them. bias in your response here, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so I'm not a mathematician. I, I am a literary guy, but I think there's something gone wrong in that number. So here's the here's the thought with empathy. We think we're being empathic, but there's a perception and reception of it. So the wake up call to me, Minter, which is why I wrote a book on the topic, which is, all right, Minter, you think you're being good. You've got the rational thing going on, but you're not actually being really empathic. Right. And a number of times my wife has called me out since writing a book on empathy, Minter. Not very empathic of you. And so the, the, the challenge is, A, trying to be more empathic than you are, which requires being more self-aware about your empathic superpower that you think you have. Two is to understand that you don't need to be empathic with everybody all the time. The tyranny of empathy is about as destructive as the tyranny of purpose. You, right. you, you need to just dial in to people and situations at different times. And here's the, yeah. the real crunch. The problem is it all takes time. Right. It takes energy and time to be empathic. So well, that's why you can't be in total empathy mode all the time everywhere. Exhausting. It is. So what was the second question, Nick? I, I, I think uh, I lost no, that I think, one. I think you covered them. I think it was great. So um, there was a, you know, the question about how do you, how do you um, address it when you don't fully believe in the brand? I think a great answer about honesty about taking it taking it as it is and then reaching people at a place of honesty to start with is a great point and um, powerful point. Um, and then there's a lovely point about multicultural change and how you address kind of ideas which don't necessarily resonate in different cultures in the same way. Uh, it's kind of a side point which is quite exciting just to listen to, but we didn't really get into that, but it's just an interesting point, right? Um, and then a lovely point that uh, Rick is making about the journey you know, and about the pay it forward culture. So, you know, fundamentally here, we're talking about engaging people, red connects, if you like, I think in the culture. And then what is the essence of that culture is resonating around the product and the product experience and the love of the brand. And, you know, anything that's not lovely, I think making me think of Tom Peters saying, excellence is the practice of the pursuit of everything that's, um, the avoidance of everything that's not excellent. So the same, same here, right? You've got to love your brand. So, you know, in what ways do we not love it? You know, uh, it's quite an interesting question. So to, to 
tag on to what Rick was bringing up. The interesting thing is sometimes we lose track of purpose. Because if I just stick with, oh, I'm going to talking about another story. So I was working with a food company. And, um, and what was their purpose? Well, their purpose is to be profitable. All right, well, that's not like I got to go very far. Um, we, we, we make uh, very low-end food. That's the canned beans and canned, you know, those sort of things. I said, well, all right, no, your purpose is to nourish a lot of people who can't afford to have this, you know, you know luxury meals. You have an extraordinary purpose to yeah. educate them about food and, and to bring good food to the table so you can talk about how they should be cooking to optimize, even if the ingredients are what they would might dream about. So tap into that and, and remember that. It's not just about bringing in the number of, you know, bean counting pounds and the P&L. And if you can then relate that. So in the journey, you need to be finding something that relates into you. And if you choose to work at that canned food company, you need to then do dial in on why that's important to you. Because you, you might have just fallen into that job. You came out of school. They hired you. Oh, it was a great challenge. I look, I'm a marketing manager at this company. We sell baked beans. It's really exciting. And you do that. That's the justification story going on. You have made no link in at a personal level to those baked beans. So if I start telling you about the baked beans I used to have at campfires, <laughs> probably not something we should no. talk about on the air. But yeah, that let's say that that's the kind of thing you need to dial into, obviously, at a deeper level. I'm really conscious of everyone needing to get off and to start their day. Very, very grateful, Minta. Uh, you've been incredibly generous in joining us this morning, staying on for 15 super bonus minutes to discuss some oh, of the questions. E easy um, for me. Easy for me, Nick. So for everyone that's listening, this is recorded um, and it will be on all our channels as a podcast, including the bonus 15. Go on. And I, and I just want to do a little... Uh, sales pitch if I might for a session I do which is free 25th of February it's called the connected leaders experience it's a one and a quarter hour uh, opportunity to hopefully get some energy that's the, the prime idea some inspiration some thoughts and also connect with people in a way that is disarmingly different and uh, for you who have done an empathy circle uh, the little hint is I, I really try to drive empathy and do a little mini empathy circle within so it's a, it's a really unique experience. We had a fantastic show up when we did our first one this week. And so 25th of Jan, uh, February, um, it's going to be, you go to my site, you can see Minterdial forward slash. Maybe we can, Maybe we can oh, well, share that, the link. That, me, um, yeah, well, yeah, if you guys have I, the link, though, we'll share it around with everyone when they get the video link. That's okay. Yes, um, indeed. Go for it. Thoroughly recommend those things. I really enjoyed the empathy circle with Minter. It was super. Um, so um, just wrapping up very quickly for anyone who's still around on there. Just thank you very much for joining us this morning. Um, um, peace and good health go with all of you out there. Um, sending you our best wishes. Uh, just a quick reminder uh, to come and have a look on the website. Now you'll be able to look up for the next one. We're just going to start this conversation and really in welcome interaction and conversation from from those of you out there who are clients, not clients, just let's start talking about how we reimagine the world and what are the practical issues and practical solutions right now that we can start getting ready for for, for the post-pandemic kind of state. So it's, it's the you have a cafe in the morning and then the collective leader experience in the evening. <laughs> Sounds great. I can't wait. 
Um, uh, so thank you all very much for coming along this morning. Um, as you all uh, say thank you and goodbye, and thank you for all your questions and comments uh, on the chat this morning, we'll get the books out to you. Um, and just a last little note from me that um, as part of our kind of idea of how to help, we've made our resilience online course free all the way through to the end of February for anyone, literally anyone who wants to pick it up and run it. Um, it's pretty good, I think, uh, really helpful. Loads of people have already signed up and uh, you know, it's nice just to see the feedback and see that people are finding it very useful. So if you want a link to that, just share it with somebody who you feel might need a bit of extra energy just right now, please do. Um, it's, it's free until the end of February um, and it's easy to access. So just let us know if you want to uh, get that link. Thank you all very much for coming along today. And that's the end of the webinar. And so I'm going to say goodbye. Thank you very much. Sayonara.